This podcast is brought to you by Business Radio, powered by Wharton. Under the sea, darling, it's better down where it's wetter. Take it from me. I'm on the shore, they work all day. Out in the sun, they slave away. While we be boating full time, you floating under the sea. Welcome back. This is Dollars and Change on SiriusXM Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School. I'm your host, Nick Ashburn. And I'm Sandy Hunt. And we are on dry land. We are on dry land. Sandy is dreaming of being under the sea, I can tell. She's singing along. Give a shout out to our um, sound engineer, Danielle Bruno, for (laughs) indulging me with the Little Mermaid music to start off our Coral Reef segment here. You know, there was a, I think, Entertainment Weekly on on their SiriusXM channel had a competition around March Madness around the best Disney songs. What one? So it was a big bracket. I'll get there. Oh. Um, I thought Little Mermaid songs would have gone a little further in the competition. Can I guess? Yes. Do you know? I think I think I know. Lion King. Something. It was. It yes, was the Lion really? King, but I think it was Circle of Life. Oh. No, no, no. Uh, no, I'm totally wrong. We wanted Circle of Life. It was the runner-up. But I think Beauty and the Beast won. Oh. Um, I think Beauty and the Beast, Tale as Old as Time, yeah. because it was topical it right it came out, out. and so michael again my husband was disappointed because he chose circle of life because he gets entertainment weekly weekly uh the magazine and filled out the bracket ah, <laughs> we did that on a saturday morning one I day like took it that. very seriously i also feel like it probably folks are now very confused what show they're listening to on sirius xm this morning but i suspect it's also like when you come of age like, yeah. I think for our era, The Lion King was, like, at that. It was just a great age where we could appreciate music. Well, because we're admittedly and, millennial. You know, exactly. On the whereas, older side. But, we digress. But we are. Li- you are actually listening to <laughs> Dollars and Change on business radio powered by the Wharton School, not Entertainment Weekly, not Disney, business radio. And we are going to be talking about coral reefs, which is how we got on this topic. And we're speaking with Sam Teicher, who is the co-founder and chief reef officer of Coral Vita. Welcome to the show, Sam. Good morning. Sorry for that tangent before we got to you. <laughs> I can't say that I've had a better way to start the day than talking about a Disney March Madness bracket. So <laughs> Please I'm, enjoy I'm... that song in your head all day, <laughs> listeners. It's, it's there for me, Sebastian the Crab. Uh, I'm, I'm in. Nice. Like Excellent. Good name drop. Good name drop. So Matt, uh, or sorry, not Matt, uh, Sam. That Matt was our last guest. Sorry about that. Uh, Sam, what in the world is Coral Vita and how? What, what is your business around this? Coral Vita is a company I started up with my friend and grad school classmate, Gator Halpern, and it's a company that grows corals to restore dying reefs. So what we're looking at, as has been in the news more and more frequently, is the state of coral reefs around the planet. They are really suffering from significant degradation. Over the past several decades, we've lost over 30% of the world's reefs and are projected to lose 75% since mid-century. For a scuba diver uh, like myself, I've been diving since I was a kid. Oceans are one of my favorite places on Earth. That's enough of a driving force to get me into this this sort of ecological wonder and beauty, the 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 under-the-sea, finding Nemo's, um, all the things that sort of enchant us with coral reefs. But what we're also looking at is that they are incredibly valuable. So... Conservatively, reefs generate about $30 billion a year through tourism, fisheries, and coastal protection. They support up to a billion people through food security, livelihoods. And, and Sam, 25- I want to I want to underscore that last piece. Um, so, uh, actually... Let's like, spend a few minutes on it. This is a big number. Yeah, so 
the livelihoods piece, especially like the majority, I believe, and correct me if I'm wrong, the majority of people actually get their protein from fish in the world, not, you know, chicken or beef or pork. It's it's fish. Isn't, isn't that correct? It's a significant source of protein. And in many countries, that's growing, um, especially in developing countries. So what we're dealing with is the, the increase in terms of the level of protein that comes from seafood, but also collapsing fisheries. Uh, right. Over, more than or about 90% of fisheries are either under threat or are collapsing. And so it's a, it's a big problem right now. And, and break down that 30 billion number. I mean, not necessarily in specifics, but a few of them are obvious, right? Tourism. Okay, I can mm-hmm. imagine how cool. I can go to the Great Barrier Reef and scuba dive around it. Yep, that, so that, like, okay, I see where the money's generated. Tourism brings people to communities. They spend money on lots of things. Where, you know, talk to us about those other sort of economic points that contribute to that $30 billion coral reef contribution to our economy. Sure. So the other two besides tourism that really stand out are fisheries. So to your previous point, uh, from an artisanal and a commercial standpoint, reefs sustain about 25% of marine life, even though they cover less than 1% of the ocean floor. So a quarter of all the world's marine life depends on reefs. And in many cases, that means a lot of bellies um, or a lot of economies that are tied to the fishing industry depend on coral reefs. And then for coastal protection, reefs act like natural seawalls, only they're also much cooler because we get Sebastian the crab and turtles <laughs> and uh, all sorts of the sort of wondrous things that, that come with reefs. But they help prevent shoreline erosion and buffer coastlines from storms that are now increasing in terms of frequency and, and intensity in many places around the world. So actually the reinsurance industry uh, starting to look at how things like coral reef restoration, uh, if done in a sound way through proper engineering, can actually lower the insurance premiums for coastal property owners that pay for that service. Yeah, and I think you know we were just talking to someone who was you know discussing urban gardens and what they do with vacant lots and building gardens, and there's a parallel in what I think is challenging the way we think about things to to consider what the costs would be if not for these things. So a coral reef is a benefit, but then to think about what it would cost to have all of that erosion, what it would do to insurance costs, how much it would you know, cost a taxpayer or a landowner to build back up an artificial you know, shoreline barrier, the costs really skyrocket. Um, tell us a little bit about how you, um, how you make that case. How do you get people to think you know, to have that forward thinking mentality about what could happen if not for the reefs so that they engage in your in your programs and in your initiative now? Well, you you sort of hit the nail right on the head as far as this really being a socioeconomic catastrophe, not just a, a ecological crisis in that if you are a hotel owner and I was a dive tourist and I want to spend money on a trip, but the reefs either at your hotel or in your country or in terrible shape, I'm not going to spend my money um, and come to that place. I'm, I'm going to go elsewhere where the reefs are healthy. Um, that affects the airline industry. That affects hotels. That affects the small and medium enterprises that rely on uh, tourism dollars. When we're thinking about the welfare of national governments, when you've got food security challenges on the line along with economic prosperity, um, and then risk to infrastructure along the coast, property, 
from coral reef degradation, that all offers a lens to sort of frame coral reef decline as a, a business issue. Um, like I said before, this is it's something that really matters for a lot of people around the world, but it really also affects a lot of dollars. Um, and that's, that's the way that we sort of put it forward is that restoration offers a solution um, to help preserve reef health for future generations while protecting those benefits and ecosystem services that we've been chatting about so far. And Sam, did you mention that since about the the middle of last century that it, there's been about a 75% depletion in reefs? The, the number we usually uh, reference is there's been a sort of 30% decline. 30%. Um, that, that, that number can sometimes, it's, that number was what we have been using since we got started a couple years ago while we were in grad school. But after what's taken place with the recent El Nino bleaching events, we've heard about this serious loss on the Great Barrier Reef and other reefs all around the world. That number sometimes is now referenced as high as 50%, but the wow. studies are still being done to see what damage was wrought by the recent bleaching event. And and the, I think what's interesting is when I was doing some background information for the segment, you know, just some pictures are quite compelling. You can see how different these ecological systems are because of this depletion. So I do encourage our listeners to to just Google uh, or go to the the Coral Vita website. Um, how do how do you actually a- address this problem? How are you and Gator actually trying to do this? So what we're doing is setting up land based coral farms which you can imagine almost like an aquaculture facility in each country. Uh, I'm not sure our listeners know what an aqua- aquaculture facility might look like. I don't, break- I don't know what one looks like either. <laughs> Set up the visual for us. Fair enough. So basically we're going to have a series of raceway tanks, which are about you know four foot by eight foot, so effectively bathtubs, that will have a sort of clean source of seawater pumping through them uh, under a very simple mesh, shade cloth to help regulate temperature with a couple other uh, sort of mechanics like temperature regulators and things to let us check and monitor water quality. So that's basically what the farm will be, is a series of these tanks uh, in which we can grow corals. And so there's a number of different ways that that can take place. The way we're going about it is known as fragmentation. Uh, And so what we'll do is we'll take pieces of coral from living reefs, whether ones that have been broken off and are sort of lying on the seafloor after a storm or actually taking a clipping, um, much like you could take a cutting from a tree or a flower that can then be planted. So we'll take those cuttings, we'll take those fragments to our farm, put them in our tanks um, and sort of modify all of the temperatures uh, or acidity levels or all the sort of water quality aspects to reflect the conditions Um, of where those corals will be planted back out into the ocean. We're always using native corals, so corals from that country. Um, And depending on the species, they can take anywhere between 6 to 12 months to grow to a sort of more mature, durable size before we then plant them back out into the ocean, into the reefs. Um, The two super cool things that we're integrating in that are some breakthroughs in the field of coral farming which is always fun to say. I was like, I didn't um, know there was a field, but good to yeah. know. Gator and I are coral farmers, uh, along with a really awesome uh, group of practitioners around the world. It's a pretty recent field. It's been around for about 20 years or so. But 
two of our advisors have figured out these game-changing um, methods to accelerate the growth of corals up to 50 times faster Whoa. Uh, while enhancing their resiliency to warming and acidifying oceans that threaten their health. Um, so shout out to Dr. David Vaughn from the Moat Marine Lab. He figured out this micro-fragmenting technique that lets us grow corals in months instead of decades, which also then unlocks some really important species diversity. Uh, and Dr. Ruth Gates out of the University of Hawaii, who is at the forefront of uh, this sort of assisted evolution, as he's dubbed it, means to build resiliency into the corals so that they can better survive oceans of the future. You're listening to Dollars and Change on Sirius XM 111, business radio powered by the Wharton School, and we're talking with Sam Teicher, who's the co-founder and chief reef officer of Coral Vita. We are actually talking about micro-fragmenting and, and evolutionary support. I, I, I might have to have Matt, or sorry, Sam, uh, re-say that, but... Uh, We'll, we'll see. And Sam, what I, what I think is really exciting is you're talking about technology, we use that word broadly, that are advancements in science that are going to allow, that are allowing you to grow coral that is you know, growing at 50 times the rate and stronger, like a super, a super powered coral. Mm-hmm. That almost gives me optimism against the very startling statistics you were talking about that 50% ish is eroded now and 75% is projected to be, you know, gone by 2050. Talk to us about how Coral Vita is working. Are these, you know, are you asking communities to adopt the build of one of these, you know, coral plants in one of these tanks? Are you creating them and looking for folks to sponsor them? Talk to us about the model you're using to get these sort of coral starter kits going. Sure. So we're, we're, Taking our model it's from a for-profit approach, um, we felt that one of the big roadblocks right now for restoration to be a viable tool to help in the fight for preserving reefs uh, is the issue of scale. And from two aspects, uh, we are coming at that. One is putting a commercial model on top, and then the second is trying to do these bigger land-based farms. And those traditionally have been reserved to marine institutes. Um, and most coral farms have sort of been underwater gardens. So to the first point, what we're looking at, I talked a bit before about how we're framing this in a sort of economic and socioeconomic lens. Um, We will set up farms. We recently completed our seed round, actually, and we'll be setting up our first farm down in the Caribbean later this year where we will demonstrate sort of this efficacy of our model to sell restoration as a service, to hotels, coastal property owners, governments, all these customers that depend on the benefits of reefs. And then simultaneously, um, the farms can act like an ecotourism attraction. So if you were in the country where we're set up and you're looking for a fun thing to do with your friends or your family, you can come visit our coral farm, learn about what's happening to the reefs and why it matters, but then also that sense of optimism, what we can do about it, and even come out with our team and plant corals and sort of pay to have this awesome experience. So we'll basically use that as a way to generate revenue to then implement this scalable means um, to really do large-scale ecosystem-level restoration um, on an unprecedented level. Sam, I was going to ask you about your customer base, but I think you just talked a little bit more about that, you know, resorts, ecotourism, government, et cetera. Where are 
coral reefs. So, you know, our listeners may sort of know Australia, you know, Great Barrier Reef, et cetera. But, like, where, where else are coral reefs found? So they're really found all throughout the tropics. There's almost 100 countries and territories that have coral reefs. The ones that pop into mind, I think, for most people, you think of the Caribbean, anywhere from sort of Aruba and the Bahamas to the Florida Keys, um, Belize and Mexico. Um, if you go to the other side of the world, we've got Mauritius, Seychelles, Mozambique, um, Egypt, and countries in the Persian Gulf, South Pacific, Southeast Asia, um, Australia, of course, Indonesia. So they're really found all throughout the world. And there's a couple cold water corals as well. So it's, it was a shock to me when I first learned about them. But in fact, there actually are some coral reefs in places like Scotland and Ireland. Um, but we're, we're, we're right now more focused on those tropical coral reefs because they're the ones that are under most serious threat. And what are the driving causes of threat for our listeners who may not be aware? You referenced, I think, a bleaching. Is that what you said, mm-hmm. said earlier? Tell us a little bit about you know, what's causing the, the problems you're fixing. So there's sort of three levels, I think, to look at it. One is the personal level. Um, there's been recent studies that have found things like sunblocks. Um, certain brands can carry chemicals that are very harmful to corals. So switching up your sunblock, um, Environmental Working Group actually has a list of sort of reef-safe sunblocks. Um, things like that, or, or, you know, when you're snorkeling or diving, you might stand on and break a coral. That's sort of the personal level. Then there's local stressors, and that's really what's been having an impact over the past several decades, things like overfishing. Um, you might not think that overfishing could help kill corals, but basically... If all the herbivore fish, all the ones that eat plants, are taken out and corals die, when the corals try and settle, little coral babies and polyps will try and grow on the rocks, they're competing with algae. And if there's no fish to eat them, then the algae is going to take over and the corals won't come back to life. So on that local level, overdevelopment, um, pollution, things like that, those have played a big impact um, in terms of reefs dying in the, in the past and around the world right now. And then looking forward, on the global level is climate change. Um, and so warming temperatures, um, corals can only live in a certain temperature range. And what we've seen this past several years uh, was a spike in ocean temperatures, and that caused the corals to bleach, as you were talking about before. Um, simplest way of thinking about it is corals are actually animals that have a symbiotic algae living inside of them. Um, and they can only sort of tolerate a certain temperature. The, the algae gets kicked out when the temperatures get too high and the corals can't eat. And then eventually, if they don't come back in time, they turn pure white because the, the symbiotic algae provides that wonderful color that we all know when we think of coral reefs. Um, they turn pure white, and then ultimately they, they can die. And so that's what's been taking place over the past several years been documented. Actually, I urge all your your listeners on Netflix last week, this amazing film Chasing Coral came out, and it really gives a a beautiful, easy-to-understand picture of sort of what I've been talking about, um, especially from that standpoint of watching these corals die over the span of, you know, months and years, um, which is not supposed to happen. So, Sam, you have really helped us understand the problem, you know, where what you're trying to address. I think that you've given us a pretty good view of, you know, your approach to addressing this problem. And now I'm going to put my my business and investor hat on. And you said you just raised a seed round. Um, mm-hmm. 
where are you? It sounds like early days. Where are you in the business? Why did you decide to create a for-profit business around this? And who's your competition? So in terms of where we're at, this was a company that I started with Gator while we were getting our master's degrees at the Yale School of Forestry. And we've been doing it full-time since 2015 and are right now getting ready to set up our pilot coral farm down in the Caribbean. We're sort of choosing uh, between a couple different locations and and negotiating with partners down there. Um, That first farm will be small scale. So the science we're working with is proven. Um, So what we need to now show is we as a company can go out there and plant corals, and we've got amazing advisors. I mentioned before Dr. Vaughn and Dr. Gates, two of the top coral scientists in the world. and that farm will sort of let us show people will pay for restoration. Um, with the thought then being in about a year and a half, two years, we'll raise a Series A, scale up, do a large-scale farm capable of restoring an entire country's reefs, um, and then put one of those farms, ultimately we hope, in every country and territory that has reefs around the world. Why we did it as a for-profit, I actually previously worked for a small nonprofit between college and grad school called Eli Africa out in Mauritius. And I helped start up a UN funded coral farm in partnership with the Mauritius Oceanography Institute. And it was amazing to see a reef come back to life. We were doing one of those traditional underwater farms. Um, We worked with local students, fishermen, uh, who were actually returning to this lagoon that had previously been barren and setting up their traps 100 yards away from the restoration site because there were so many more fish. So we could see that it worked, but right now a lot of the, the projects are grant-funded. And when we're thinking about 75% of the world's reefs dead by 2050, the grant-funding model is not going to cut it. So to address that issue of scale so that we really can have meaningful impact, we felt that getting customers who depend on these reefs, who will significantly suffer if reefs die and nothing's done about it, getting them to pay for restoration, and in turn proving out this business model can help inject the capital needed to really tackle this problem at the scale necessary to, to make a difference. So I, I'm thinking of, of actually some of the work that the Pew Charitable Trust has done in illegal fishing and even the cold water reefs, which I think we have some off the U.S. coast too, um, maybe mm-hmm. in the... Maine. The, okay, the, the, in Maine, yeah. So really interested to, to hear about this from the business point of view. Um, what do you see as sort of the next steps to, to move forward in this? So you're going to you're going to be planting more on land and then, you know, we'll probably it, have to do like a, um, a follow up interview, maybe from from the Caribbean, from the Caribbean. Yeah, I think, I think yeah, we might have to in, go live in interviews for sure. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so so what's next for you guys? So I'm currently based in D.C. and Gators in San Diego, um, and we will be gearing up later this year to move down to the Caribbean. Um, We actually just hired our chief science officer who will be leading our research team, and we will all move down together more or less for about a year to get this first farm off the ground um, and then sort of look forward to that next farm and the Series A round that I was talking about a second ago. Um, so we actually really encourage people, once we're set up, we really want folks to come down and take part in this, this project. Um, there's an amazing opportunity to just come plant corals with us and, and have that experience. Um, and there's actually great organizations that do that kind of work already, like the Coral Restoration Foundation. Force Blue actually takes veterans um, and gives them an opportunity to sort of continue their service by planting corals. Uh, 
Um, so that's sort of our, our short term is getting that first farm up and running with the thought then being we're positioning ourselves, building out a sales pipeline to set up those large scale farms um, in the next couple of years. Well, it sounds like a tremendous undertaking. It sounds like important work. Uh, thank you so much for joining us. We've been speaking with Sam Teicher, who is the co-founder and chief reef officer of Coral Vita. Um, Sandy, what what is your key takeaway from that? I mean, it you know, when you hear about business models like this that are sort of a win-win-win, you know, I can't help but love everything about it. People go on vacation anyway and throw money at tourist activities just going to look at reefs. Why not? actively participate in growing them um you know it's, that sounds like fun it does it sound actually like, well, sounds it, like fun you know i guess i don't do a lot of tropical vacations but you're go, usually going to just look at them so why not be a part of it helps you know grow things and i'm just thrilled to see science and research and data supporting better practices absolutely so thank you so much we are going to take a short break but stay with us when we get back we'll be speaking with ned dane in studio he's the senior vice president of oppenheimer funds private client group and we'll be talking about next gen impact investing stick with us this is dollars and change on sirius xm 111 for more insight from business radio please visit businessradio.wharton.upenn.edu 